1: Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. NetHealth is the creator of the Redoc patient portal, which provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. You can conduct video conferencing for telehealth, secure messaging, share documents and photos, and your patients have 24 7 secure online on demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. To find out more about the Redoc patient portal, contact NetHealth at redoc at nethealth.com. All right, on to today's episode. I was so happy to reunite with Laura Rathbone for this episode, and we are talking about ACT in the clinic. So, ACT is acceptance and commitment therapy, and Laura is Simply amazing. So she is a specialized pain coach and advanced physiotherapist that works exclusively with people experiencing persistent pain and conditions such as chronic back pain, pelvic pain, fibromyalgia, and CRPS. Much of her work is virtual as she coaches people all over the world in the service of their pain. But she also has a small clinic in the beautiful town of of Wisp, just outside Amsterdam in the Netherlands. She understands the need to see people from a whole person perspective and integrates modern, evidence based, physiotherapeutic, and psychologically informed approaches. Laura is a UK chartered physiotherapist and has a master's degree in advanced neuromuscular physiotherapy from King's College London. She is part of the Le Pub Scientifique team, which organizes regular live learning sessions exploring the science of pain and produces a small podcast called Philosophers Chatting with Clinicians. She runs her own courses on ACT and mentors clinicians regularly. So um, she does, Laura just came out with her Act in the Clinic course. So if you go to her website, which is on the uh healthy podcast.healthy, wealthy and smart webpage, under this particular episode, you will find the Uh, the link to her website. And of course, on her website, she has all about her uh, new program on acceptance and commitment therapy for uh, clinicians in the clinic. So a huge thank you to Laura for coming on. And today we talk about what is acceptance and commitment therapy, how the ACT framework complements a biopsychosocial approach to patient care, the importance of promoting active over passive interventions for patients with persistent pain. And again, wait until you understand when what we say active is, why clinicians should integrate psychologically informed physical therapy into their practice. So a huge, huge thank you to Laura for coming on the podcast and talking about ACT. Again, if you go to laurarathbone.com, You can uh, sign up for her Act Act in the Clinic course. She has two cohorts coming up, so definitely check that out. And in the
0: meantime, you can learn more about Act in this podcast. So thanks, everybody. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited to have you here. And today we're going to be talking about Act. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well,
2: thank you for having me. I'm excited, too. I like talking about Act. Something yeah. That.
0: <laughs> All right. So now let's talk about ACT. First two questions. What is ACT? And how did your interest in ACT come about?
2: Um, okay. Uh, so ACT stands for acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, I suppose, you know, sort of officially the, the, the way we talk about it is that it's a third wave cognitive and behavioral therapy so it's born out of the behavioral um, movement and it's a psych it's essentially it's a psychology framework it came out of the world of psychology um, and the aim of it is to recognize that when we're experiencing you know difficult unpleasant and invasive stuff there's often a lot of other uh, aspects to that experience that add to the struggle and add to the suffering and what we're what we're working with, um, from an ACT perspective is often, can we, can we, uh, compassionately, um, and you know, empathetically and appropriately work with some of that other stuff that comes with the struggle and comes with a a difficult experience. And does that help us manage our, our present moment experience? Does that help us, um, reduce some of the suffering? Uh, so that we can we can move forwards with some of the realities that are in our lives like for example um, if you're experiencing uh, pain which is where i come into it from um you know in the absence of having a really good uh predictable effective cure for things like persistent pain things like fibromyalgia crps uh, even chronic low back pain we we what we don't have are these predictable sort of treatments that's going to take that away once, once the pain has started to become persistent. But in the absence of that, are we able to support people with their pain so that they can, they can thrive. They can be a person who has pain and has a career and has a a, a committed family life and has a social uh, function and role and, and they're able to thrive with it. And that's, that's really what we're doing with ACT there.
0: And where did your interest in act come from? How did you get involved?
2: Yeah, uh, there are two answers to that really. Um, the first answer, I guess, is that I just sort of fell into it like so many people right i I graduated from university. I went into my first job. I had a really difficult first job experience uh, in a difficult company um and ended up working noticing i suppose and working with people that had persistent pain and so i was constantly seeking for better solutions and trying to figure out how how we can do better by these people um and then i guess i just sort of navigated that way naturally um and uh yeah so i was interested in mindfulness mindfulness you know you study things like Uh, the MBSR, so the mindfulness-based stress reduction, you start thinking about how you can incorporate bits of that into your practice. And before you know it, you end up into acceptance and commitment therapy. And then I was super lucky because I managed to get this brilliant job in in the National Centre for Pain at at St. Thomas' Hospital in London, where I was working at Input, uh, which is the pain centre. And I was working underneath Professor Lance McCracken in their embedded uh, ACT unit so i got this great opportunity to really further my training and and understand how it functioned as a framework and how we as physiotherapists could really be maximizing our therapeutic alliances and relationships and, and and really integrating this model to create you know a psychologically informed approach if you want to call it that or a compassion focused approach so that we just do better by people who are vulnerable and in pain
0: well that makes a lot of sense to me thank you so much now
2: yeah. gonna give you the second answer yeah
0: yeah give me the second answer
2: is that you know pain is a bit of a personal experience it's a personal journey for me my mom had chronic low back pain when i was younger and i guess i'm only just now coming to terms with the influence of that on my career something that i haven't talked about a lot um, but i do get asked about quite a lot and um you know, it's, it's, it would be silly to, to say that those early experiences of somebody with chronic pain, you know, didn't have an influence on me and, and seeing her go through a, a biomedical approach to treatment and not be heard and seeing her struggles and thinking, well, you know, we, you know, and the injustice has probably built up in me as the second generation and thinking, well, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we restore some of that justice? And, and how do we, um, acknowledge that there is an imbalance here in terms of privilege, like clinician privilege versus patient privilege. And how do we start to restore that and make sure that we listen to the people we work with and do and better? So that's exactly and
0: what that. <laughs> sort of experiences did you see your mother go through that kind of led you into where you are today? When you say, so for a lot of people, they might not be familiar with the biomedical approach and, and what that looked like, but what did that look like for her? And then how did that, what did that look like for you as a, as a kid growing up?
2: Yeah, um, like I say, it's something I'm still, still really coming to terms with and, and the memories of what I saw my mom go through are still quite uh, like emotionally charged. They're still very close. Um and we're talking about it. Me and my mum are talking about this more and trying to open it up a bit more and, and, and explain that. And then but I remember, you know, being in the car and my mum being unable to sit in the chair and and, and the the sa- the sound of her voice when we went over a bump or the car mm. stopped. That that yelp for pain, that that real yeah, terror of pain really. And um, I remember her spending hours in the bedroom, not being able to get out of bed and, and, and but you know, she also, she was an amazing woman, you know, incredible first um, role model as a strong woman, really, because, you know, she's a nurse, she was working in the paediatric unit. She, she's done everything, really. She's done uh, uh, A&E, paediatrics, uh, domiciliary, which is community-based working. And she used to get up every day, even in pain. And she would go to work in pain and, you know, do all these things and just push and push and push until she was exhausted. And then she would be like busted on the weekend and pushing herself and through the, through the day. And I saw her just be hopeless. Like mm. that was, I think the overriding feeling, if I really reflect quite personally, was that feeling of, there is no hope. There's, there is no way out of this. Um, this is this is the norm and resigning to that. And that's because you know, she'd tried physical therapy or physiotherapy as we call it in the UK, and you know, she'd tried like acupuncture and she'd gone around the holistic man, she'd been in and out of the doctors and things like that, and just really been told there's nothing that they can do, but yet also she had this image of of why she had pain. So she was told that she had back pain because her coccyx had dislocated during labor which was my labor so there's a bit of personal guilt Mm -hmm. there as well and um you know and it's all and 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 really those things were like she always felt that that image had stayed with her forever even now probably if you talk to her and ask her which we're working through a little bit which is hard to do when it's your mom but uh like you know trying to figure out how she views her body and her back now it's becoming a much stronger image but she really had to find her own way out of that. And it was years later until she found a solution that she could, she felt she could predictably start to acknowledge and manage her pain. And, and, you know, it's not the traditional method. Like she found a a kind of like, um, like a kind of massage tool, which is everything we wouldn't say right now, but it worked for her and it gave her a freedom. She felt all of a sudden I have something I can do when I have pain. And that was the most important um, moment for her. And it wasn't, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy or mindfulness. It was, it was a tool that gave her strength. It was a kind of extended part of her own ability to self-manage. And she did that and it worked for her. And I and I don't advocate those kind of mechanisms and those approaches, but it worked for her. And there's something in that. There's something important in that. Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember her pain and, yeah, it's still very personal. Yeah, and not easy, but I, I'm, thank you for sharing that because
0: I know that sharing personal experiences, my personal experience, is not an easy thing to do and it's not easy to put that out there where the world is going to hear that. So thank you, but I'm glad that you shared it because I guarantee you there are going to be people listening to this podcast who are going to say to themselves, that's me, that was my mom, that's my sister, that's my friend, that's my patient. And so I think it's really important to allow the listeners to understand the magnitude of hope and of finding something that works for you, even if it's not physiotherapy or it's not XYZ doctor or whatever framework you're using. Um, Because like I said, somebody out there is going through that same exact thing. And just to kind of hear that story and to hear how not only did it affect your mother but it affect you and your family and growing up and and uh, I think that's a really powerful share so thank you
2: no you're welcome and and thank you to my mom who is an who continues to be an an incredible voice in my uh, my growth as a person and who who went through that journey and who still goes through that journey although she doesn't identify now as somebody who has chronic pain and that's a great moment for her like she's now Able to do so much more and and really doesn't have back pain very often anymore Um. so so I guess the the you know, yeah, it, it it's hard for me to share but it, it's it's not my story mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, well and and we're gonna get back to pieces of that story in a little bit but I heard you say in the beginning of this podcast, talking about ACT as a framework, I would like to kind of bust a myth because I think a lot of people look at it as a tool to put in the toolbox. So what do you say to someone who's like, oh, ACT, this is a great tool. I'll put it in my toolbox. I'll take it out when I need it.
2: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, yeah this is a oh i'm glad i'm glad we're talking about this because this is something that this is probably my personal opinion and there's probably people out there who are acceptance and commitment therapists who may disagree with me and that's absolutely fine there's space for us all but i do not think that act is a tool that we pick up when we think it's appropriate first of all how do we know that that's another thing isn't it you know we don't you know and and but i would say that acceptance and commitment therapy is a is is how we are it's a way of being with your clients and the people who choose to work with you in the service of their pain it's it's it happens it's how we make decisions it's how we think about and how we facilitate those decisions and how we um are part of you know the the next step in that person's journey it's not something that we say Oh, we've exhausted the biomedical approach. Now we're gonna pick up the act approach. And it's a bit like the biopsychosocial approach. Like that, it just doesn't work like that. This is just another way of, you know, clinicians getting out of doing the hard work, which is listening to people's stories and empathizing and putting themselves in somebody else's. somebody else's shoes and trying to you know trying to get more of their life experience as opposed to showing off what they know about a particular joint like this is this is not how we work in pain pain is a very personal it's a very unique experience it's built up of life experiences as well as memories and you know learning and and worries and fears And, and all of that plays out in our physiology.
0: And what does what can a clinician Who's working with someone in pain and they are taking the ACT framework uh, into the clinic, what does that look like exactly?
2: Mm, good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what your setting is, doesn't it? Really? Like if you like, if your setting is first, first, first line. So people are coming to you and they have never seen anyone else with their their problem then of course, we're going to be thinking, okay, where is that person in the journey from that injury or the onset of their pain? Are they two years down the line and this is the first person they see or are they two weeks down the line? Because that always is going to affect your approach to assessment and management. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, would, so so it would, it would make a difference in terms of where you start, but you're always thinking about, um, okay, so if this person is two weeks from injury, then you're going to be doing your injury-based assessments, your pathoanatomical um, approach to assessment. We want to want to make sure that this person hasn't done any serious injury, um, and and we want to make sure that we we you know use the most appropriate and effective science that underpins our our, our physiotherapy framework, right? But you're still thinking how is this person managing this injury you know even though we might be assessing the tissue in some aspects that tissue belongs to a person it's in a human it's in a much wider system so we're always going to be thinking okay and how is this person dealing with the the worry or the fear of an injury Um, are they are they able to make sense of this in a helpful way are their behaviors of management helpful or unhelpful and if they're unhelpful then how can, we, how can we facilitate um, an experience that allows them to update that behavior into a more helpful way? And that's what we're doing with ACT all the time. So, so I guess in my setting, when people have probably been through lots of healthcare professionals, then I'm gonna, but it would probably look quite different. I would use ACT maybe in a more intense way from very early on. Whereas if you're in a very acute injury setting, you're gonna be using it as part of your assessment you are still going to be satisfying those more uh, traditional approaches to injury assessment and management, which which is not my area. So <laughs> I don't want to make assumptions about that. Right, 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 right. Of yeah. course.
0: And what is, let's say, you a patient has come to you and they've had a long history of pain, and you're sitting down, then this is the first time there you are seeing them what are some questions? And I know this is, I'm using this very broad net here. We're casting a very broad net because obviously the answer is it depends on the person. And I want everyone to know it depends on the person. But for it depends
2: people, on the person. <laughs> yeah.
0: But for people listening to this and not really quite grasping uh, that sort of ACT framework, is there... And I don't want to say an outline because I don't think that's the right word for it. It's just escaping my head at the moment. But can you give examples of maybe how that conversation might go or what you're trying to to get from the person in front of you using this framework? And again, we're talking about people with more persistent or long-term pain problems.
2: Yeah. So... um when somebody comes in and sits down and starts telling me you know what their lived experiences of pain and and they start in their story wherever they feel is the most important place to start and we we give space for that to grow i guess what i'm looking for or what i'm trying to pay attention to is um you know where uh, how how is this person um, making sense of, and, and applying meaning to their pain um, what are what are they what is it that they're coming to me for I guess is the first thing like what is it that they're here looking for are they here looking for something that I can't give them in which case I need to be really open and honest about that or are they coming here because they're looking for um, they're wanting to move towards a particular goal so usually people come in and they're they're telling me about their pain and of course that's really uh yeah really difficult as as a person sometimes it's really difficult to listen to to hear somebody else's pain so i'm also working with my own resistance there but we're also thinking well okay what is it that would how we want to find out what is it that would would give this person that would help this person find more joy more more meaning what is it what is the value that them that they want to move towards um and what is the struggle that they're coming up with so so where are they getting stuck like what are they what are they battling all the time and i guess that's where the the idea of acceptance comes in and acceptance here is really not resignation it's really not just you know getting on with it it's it's a it's an opening up of the experience to accept that there are there are difficult and painful and hard to look at experiences happening um, in the present moment and so we're opening that up and, uh, and sort of acknowledging that those things are there um, and also maybe giving space for the fact that there are other experiences beyond those as well there's a wider spectrum of experience here um, and trying to trying to find a way to be with those experiences and also be with the important things in your life um, is what we see commonly and what we hear with in the clinic is that people who have you know people who are experiencing pain are also missing out on a lot of stuff um, uh, yeah and and that's really really I think what a lot of people find the hardest and 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 if we when I listen to what you know what the people who choose to with me say is actually that they're just grieving that they're unable to be part of their family moments or their community or their society or you know the things that they really believe in and that they really want to be part of and and it's hard because when they go into uh, t- more traditionally biomedical models the clinicians are saying oh well when we've done this surgery your pain will go and you can do that when we've done this injection when we've done this treatment and you know yeah great if that that works then then that's a that's an absolute blessed relief and and fantastic but what if someone's been doing that for 10 years and the clinicians are still saying well when we do this treatment your pain will go when we do this treatment you know you're starting to chip away at someone's life you know this is a this is a lifetime that that is limited, you know, we don't have infinite lives to live, infinite moments to to be part of. Our job has got a part of our job, and and probably the most significant part of our job, especially in persistent pain, is is helping people and facilitating uh, opportunities for people to be part of those moments um, and to make sense of their life in a wider spectrum Uh, rather than just how does my life make sense in pain it's more like how does my life make sense in the whole biopsychosocial sphere am I able to be part of that and that's what we're looking for or certainly what I use acceptance and commitment therapy for it's a way of creating opportunities and creating space for us to support someone as they take their pain into really you know meaningful moments and 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 find find that there can be joy as well as pain that and that is a really really difficult thing to acknowledge and to allow for when you have pain because it means that that in in one aspect of your pain journey you 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 have to allow yourself to take a step forwards with it and that's really hard if you really want to get rid of it. And, of course, we should always be working towards that. That is our. That has to be a big part of our um, approach, but it might not be the only thing we focus on.
0: Um, and, and that was going to be uh, – I'm glad that you said that because you sort of jumped the gun on what I was about to say because when people come, especially to a physical therapist or physio – one of the main reasons they're coming is because they have pain right and so they're coming to us to quote unquote fix it fix the pain i don't once i don't have this pain i what's your goal zero out of 10 pain no more pain mm-hmm. and so i think from the clinician's standpoint when you have those people sitting in front of you it's very very difficult to have those conversations of well the, the what if, and, and you say, well, what if you still had a little bit of pain, but you can do XYZ activity, or you can still take part in all of this stuff, and you can expand those areas of your life, even though you have pain. Is that the wrong thing to say to someone? Um, is, should that be a goal to work toward, or should the goal to work toward, if their goal is 100% no pain what what does the clinician do what do we do with that person in front of us when maybe we may think well but you can do x y and z and you can have this full life if maybe you have a little bit of pain but the person in front of you is very adamant and their their goal is no it's no pain or or nothing no pain or bust so how does how do we as the therapist navigate that cuz that's very tricky because like you said we're working towards reducing pain But what if that's not enough?
1: And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back with Laura's answer.
0: This episode is brought to you by NetHealth, helping you maintain strong relationships with your patients. The Redoc Patient Portal provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. Conduct virtual visits and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. Video conferencing for telehealth, secure messaging, share documents and photos, and view health information and appointments. To learn more, contact them at redoc at nethealth.com. Yeah, so this
2: is this is a really difficult part of the conversation isn't it and I guess what happens probably more often is we come up against our own reflex to save everybody in front of us and our own reflex to be sure we know we are right right that own our our own privilege that we are the experts but we have no idea what is right for that person in front of us and what is enough for them and you know in the 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 first few sessions when you meet someone you you're still in the process of relationship building and trust building so those early conversations may well be a communication of you know i have i am really struggling with this pain i am really suffering and i need you to fully acknowledge that i am really suffering with this pain um and it it may be a way you know and and and, and that might be that that's where that person is and it might not be that we can change that. And I put that in air uh, quotes because, you know, what we're doing here is we're, we're with acceptance and commitment therapy specifically is we're coming from a place of no judging. So, so what the behavior, the, the thoughts, the meanings that that person is coming up for, I have no idea if it is right or wrong for that person to keep seeking, you know, 100% cure I mean I look to my own my own experiences and see how far people I love and in my direct family have come in their chronic pain journey and think well you know I have no idea if 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 it's going to be a cure or if it's not if it, if there is such a thing I mean we're thinking of cure the word cure is you know almost this idea that we know what the cause is and we we don't fully know that yet so we don't know what the end point of that person's journey is um, all we can ask is right now is this helping you in this moment as we take a step in this part of your journey um, and if that's unhelpful because it's not helping us to take a step in the direction that, that we've highlighted is a, a good one that you've decided you want to take then we need to work with that urge that keeps coming in to go for a uh, curative treatment potentially potentially curative treatment if we've got one um, but I guess what I would suggest in that moment is that we as clinicians probably need to do the most work because our urge is to jump all over that and be like, no, 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 no. The science says that you're never gonna get there. And, and that's a cruel message and it's not accurate. We have mm-hmm. no idea you know, our, our urge is to educate the shit out of that person and make (laughs) them feel better, right? But we don't know, we we don't know that. So maybe we need to sit with our urges a little bit more. Maybe we need to pull ourselves back a little bit more in that moment and just hear what that person is saying and listen and acknowledge it and bring it into our decision-making, bring it into our understanding about, you know, what that person is going through, what, 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 in our experience might be a helpful step and then we have that collaborative discussion is this do you think it's going to be a helpful step would you like to go in this direction and see what happens see what comes out of it you know it's hard because we're so we, we are trained to know the answer that's what that biomedical model is all about those you know, assessment tools, we can tell you if you've got an impingement and that the idea, the whole point of that is that we had an idea that we knew what was causing pain. We knew it was the musculoskeletal system. And we knew it was the nervous system. Then now we're starting to think, well, maybe it's the neuroimmune system. And you know, it's all this idea that we know what is the cause of a human being's pain. And I'm, I'm not sure. I have seen any evidence that we're much closer. And that's just my opinion on what I see. So maybe in those moments, we need to check ourselves a little bit.
0: And and thank you for that. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, it brings me back to this idea that are we doing the best we can for the person in front of us at this time with the knowledge that we have. And and is, and is that has to be enough at that moment because that's what we have.
2: Yeah, and I think that's really an important thing to remember is that we are both two humans interacting on a human issue, which is the human experience of pain. And you know, we are healthcare clinicians, not heroes, right? We're not the saviors. We're not in in the, you know, the people that come to see us are not, not victims. They are humans trying to live their lives. And we are people who have studied physiology and people who have studied rehabilitation and people who hopefully are studying sort of, you know, communication and behavior change theory and the philosophy of just like human experience and 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 we're hoping that when those two things come together something happens and the person who is struggling to um come to terms with their pain manage pain and and find ways and solutions to their pain right we're hoping that the combination of these two things of these two people these two worlds and worldviews come together and we can find and facilitate a way for that other person the person in front of us to move forwards so you know yeah, yeah we 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 have to sort of remember that we are only doing our our best and and that has to be recognised on both sides right there there is also a responsibility for the people that choose to work with us to remember that we are people we are humans we do sometimes make it get it wrong we are able to look back and say oh that was a that was not necessarily the thing that i would do now um and we're able to change and update and evolve um yeah, I guess that's where I come. Like Our job, our role is to make sure that we are reading the literature, that we are going to the podcast, that we are listening and learning and evolving and, and, and evaluating our messages to see, is this still the best I can do? You know, and to that end, I would say, I have had this conversation a few times with, um, with sort of new graduate clinicians things like that who say, oh, but you know, this person, I, I, educate, I gave them the education and they just didn't get it. Because education is also- In one energy. session. And I, say, and I say, okay, so you gave them the education. What, uh, how, do you, how did you deliver it? What was your approach to education delivery? You know, how, what training have you done in in educating in well they approach.
0: took they took a weekend course
2: well if they've even done that you know <laughs> that's the point isn't it oh, uh-huh. and, you know, i tried a cbt approach okay so how did you train in cbt what is the cbt approach yeah you know oh i've done mindfulness okay so how do you integrate mindfulness into your into your practice we say that we think that we know how to do these things but we're not putting in the time and the effort to really fully train and upskill you know acceptance and commitment therapy is an entire psychological framework right it's not a little bit that we just add in it's it's an entire framework of being with people that means you never finish learning I'm still learning, I still have people come in my clinic and watch me, I still do peer review, and make sure that people, people are listening and, and, and helping me understand how I apply, act, and when I miss it, or when I get it wrong, so I can keep evolving. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, we have to make sure that we are fully invested in our communication strategies, not just superficially. Because otherwise we're not doing the best by the people that we work with. We're giving them a half-assed attempt at education mm-hmm. and then blaming them for not understanding what we were trying to say. when well, we don't even understand it. Right.
0: and And also being very cognizant of the fact that people communicate differently and people learn differently. So if you're giving, quote unquote, giving the education, well, I told them all about it. Well, maybe they're visual learners. Maybe they need to hear things in small chunks, not vomited all over um, with information. Maybe they need follow-up. Maybe they need to watch videos. Maybe they need to take a test. Maybe I know I'm the kind of person who I like to take a test. It's a very weird thing. I took a continuing education course the other day on child abuse. And at the end, I, you know, they tell you to evaluate the course. And I did. I'm like, well, where's the test? Where's the test? How do they know I know that i read? And my boyfriend was like, are you advocating for a test? Like, you want a test? I'm like, yes, I want a test because I want to make sure that what I read, that I understand it at least superficially, right? So when you're talking, like I have had patients where I have explained things, explained pain, used a pain education approach to them. And I always try and follow it up with, you know, I'm going to send you a couple of videos. I'm going to send you some, uh, you know, what's the, and, and ask them like, do, do you understand? Can, can you kind of give me the highlights? What did you take away from that conversation? So you may educate them, but if you don't ask them, well, what, what do you think? What did you understand from that? Does it matter what you said to them? If they can't understand a word that you just said?
2: Well, that, I mean, that is like one of the <clears throat> basic, basic principles, isn't it? Of how do we communicate? Do, does the other person even understand what we're saying? Are we using a, an appropriate approach to communication? But I guess the other thing is, you know, the beauty of, of ACT is, is that it came out of, you know, this this struggle that we had in, in real-time behaviour change, you know? Like, it, we can we can help people change their thoughts and they can change they can they can find a new narrative but when pain comes what do they do what do we do when something difficult shows up you know and, and it, the 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 skill set of act the hexaflex all the, the the processes of change that are within the hexaflex are there to to be navigated and to be utilized in that moment when pain comes what do i do is this helpful is this in service of something that i am working towards and that that working towards bit that's whatever the person in pain says it is right that's not us saying oh we're in rehabilitation therefore we need to rehabilitate you to an action or you know i have no idea you know it might be that in that moment the most important goal for that person is self-care right that could be i mean and that's very legitimate and very very Mm -hmm. valuable know it's not well when pain comes how do i push through it it's what we're trying to figure out is okay when your pain comes for you what do you do and is that helpful and if it is then then all we want to do is facilitate that and to validate it and if it's not helpful then that's when we might say okay so how do we start opening this up how do we start finding a helpful thing. What what do you think could be helpful? And Mm -hmm. our job is to facilitate that conversation so that the other person doesn't feel they are making all of the choices on their own and they've all of a sudden they've just had been dumped the responsibility of their own care on their lap. Our job is to compassionately titrate that conversation. What might be helpful and to take our time to explore it in a way that people feel they're able to make, in, in a way that not not that people feel sorry that that isn't the right word in a way that people are able to make their own choices um and we are able to support them that's it and that's what act is
0: and to that end i want to uh go back to the story of your mom and I said she found this massager that really helped and you know you and I had a conversation the other day and we had this conversation about the passive versus the active modalities and passive bad bad passive active good only thing we should be doing so let's talk about that within the act framework of your mom found a massager or whatever it is and yeah, yeah. boy that really helped so from an act framework how do we make sense of that when we are supposed to be only advocating for active active choices not passive modalities not a tens machine not a massager
2: <laughs> okay so i would say this is probably the part of the podcast where i will it's the most controversial part um because if you're an if you are uh, a person that advocates for uh, hands-off therapy then ACT will fit very nicely into your framework and you might be using it very expertly and you know and doing great work um and if you are a hands-on therapist then you may have already decided that ACT is for the hands-off people so you're not going to go near it. um and you know my opinion on this Probably changes quite often but I would say that if a person is making an informed choice about how they manage their pain that is helpful for them that is active treatment that is an active decision but is that person saying this is helpful so so our I guess if we're going to use the way I would use act in that moment as somebody who typically doesn't use a lot of hands-on therapy or uh treatment delivery devices, shall we say, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but who did I did my masters in sort of neuromusculoskeletal therapy. We did all the manual therapy stuff. Um I, I would say, okay, how much does it help? Let's have, let's talk about that helpfulness because that's important. Because my job is not to make you feel bad about using something that helps you in your life. My job is to facilitate that and to support that. Um, and, and to see value in in the bits that you might not be using or the bits that you might not be doing. So if if that person is able to say, this right now is the only thing that is keeping me going, then then we say, okay, It's helpful right now. Helpful right now doesn't mean helpful forever, right? Helpful right now means in this moment, in this context, with the knowledge that you have, the skills that you have, the the relationship that we are developing, this is very helpful. So I'm not going to take that away because that's cruel, right? That's not nice what we're going to do is we're going to work with that and we're going to keep checking in and seeing, okay, is this still very helpful? If it's, and at some point it might not be, and at which Mm -hmm. case we're going to keep working on other stuff. I would say, okay, so let's say, you know, a TENS machine, quite often people that I work with are using TENS machines because it helps them to do something of value. That's it. That's what we're working for. But if they're saying, I use my, I go to the physiotherapist or a particular physical health therapist, whatever, and they give me, let's say, core exercises, just for a a change, these are active therapies, right? These are hands-off therapies. Core exercises to strengthen my core and I do them and I have worked with these people where they are doing them four or five times a day and they're in pain when they do it, they're in pain after they do it, they're in pain for the next day, and they've been doing it for months, maybe years, some of them. And you're saying, well, actually, is that helpful? That's an active treat. That's an active treatment in a way. That's the person doing it. But it, it, that is a passive approach to receiving therapy, right? Because they're not thinking, and not, and not, and don't feel like they're able to. They have the space for their own um, opinion on whether this is working. for Them it hasn't been created in the therapeutic alliance. So, so. they're they're doing this in the hope that they get to the goal that the the therapist said they're going to get to, but they're not necessarily getting there, but they're still doing it because they haven't, the safety and the relationship hasn't been created. So that person can go back and say, actually, this isn't helping me.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. So we can say, okay, that's not helping. We can change. You don't need to do stuff that's not helping. If this is making your pain worse, then it's causing pain. Why are you doing it? Do you ever know? Yeah. And I, I, it's so, I had
0: that conversation a couple of weeks ago, the gentleman with Chronic low back pain. It's been six months of low back pain. And the doctor said, We'll read this book and and do these exercises. So he was doing press ups and press ups at an angle and press ups. And, and I said, Well, how long have you been doing that? And he said, oh, I've been doing it for a couple months. I'm like, Oh, well, how, how does it feel? He's like, Really hurts when I do it. But, you know, the doctor said to read the book and do what's in the book. So I'm just doing what's in the book. And I said the same thing. I'm like, Well, There might be ways that we could alter this, or there might be other things that might be more helpful if you're doing this particular exercise, exactly what you just said. Well, it hurts when I do it. It hurts more after I do it, and it hurts the next day more after. And I said, well, okay, let's explore this because I think there might be ways that we can make this work. And lo and behold, we found ways to make it work. But it's, it's just, yeah, it's just that exact example of what you just said. And having the conversation was maybe a little uncomfortable at first because this was something the doctor said to do. And so he had to do it.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I mean, that is a typical example where a clinician just has not invested in their communication strategy or their compassion for the person in front of them they haven't even created a dialogue they've just given somebody a book and said your problem is so common that we've written a book on exactly how to get out of it you just need to follow this there is no dialogue there mm-hmm. if you, you know, and 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 the thing is pain pain makes us very vulnerable right pain creates a huge vulnerability in us and we know that when we have pain we are vulnerable and it's no different for the person sat in front of you, that's been living with it for years. They, they've just got more pain and had it for longer
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. and are
2: maybe feeling more vulnerable and more desperate to find a way out. And that's completely understandable. So shame on that clinician because that is not okay. We have got to invest in our dialogue abilities. We've got to commit to being good communicators and compassionate communicators and compassionate listeners and you know really want to know about the human we're working with as opposed to dismissing their pain as something that a book can heal and of course there are very helpful books out there that are helpful uh, textbooks that have been written by very compassionate um, clinicians and and some are better than others and I'm not trying to say all oh, self help books are bad because that's not what that's not the point here the point here is that if there's no, there's no way, there's no space for the person who is living with pain to explore with you the solutions that you're putting up, then, then it's very difficult for people to know what to do next. And, and it's very easy for them to feel like they're doing it wrong, or they're they're somehow not committed enough. So then they might do it twice as many times and more often and more days and with more effort because that's the only solution we've given them. Yeah. And then I think it also
0: brings on for the patient sort of coming from my own experience is that, well, I can't even get this right. Like mm-hmm. you have failed yourself. You don't even know your own body. It takes you, I think it disembodies you even more than perhaps you, you already are out of protective purposes. Um, and it just takes you further away from yourself and and your your person if you will because if you can't you know you read the book you're doing what the doctor said you're doing what the therapist said and you still can't get it right then you're just a failure and it again goes back to uh feeling hopeless like you said like your mom felt like she didn't have any hope yeah. and she felt very hopeless and i think these sort of faulty communications and uh, inability to tune into what the patient is telling you leads to that feeling of hopelessness and failure from the patient point of view. And so okay. I can totally see how using ACT as a framework and being able to acknowledge the person and what they're doing, and and are there some alternatives that can be used, maybe not now, but maybe in the future or where you are now and what can we do at this point point? and it's working now but let's keep in mind that there are some other things that may we we might be able to to augment your program with
2: Yeah. And I always say that brings me on to probably the next thing that really, I think, feel very, very passionate about. And there are many. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone's watched my Facebook page. But, um, you know, this is, I think, one of the the big misunderstandings we have about integrating psychologically informed physiotherapy, right, Um, is that we still think that it's something we do to other people. And that's why I don't, really like the term psychologically informed physiotherapy, because it's still, although I think it's the best one we've got right now. And I think that, you know, it's a, it's a a lovely way of thinking about how we therapize people, but it still puts the workload in the, in, out, the part of our identity that is physiotherapists, right? Or physical therapists. It's still what we do when we put the uniform on, or when we go into our clinical encounter, and it's still something that we do as a thing to other people. But you know, if we, if we think really and truly reflect on, on the idea of the biopsychosocial model and the, the hierarchy of natural systems, this, this idea that a human is embedded within their environment, then, then the clinician is a part of the external environment and the patient or the person that's chosen to work with us um, is a part of our external environment and has an influence on us. And we have an influence on them and we need, and the, the, the real the real richness with acceptance and commitment therapy is that it is something that we are we're thinking about okay what is what is happening in my present experience that I might be struggling with that might be coming up in me that that might be having an influence on somebody else um, what is my reaction to that person's story or that person's behavior or that person's uh diagnosis right you know what what what's happening in me so that we can also remember that that work with our own resistance and 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 become aware especially now become aware of our own privilege and how that might influence and take away from somebody else's uh, privilege or equity or equality or justice or access and and this is something that we need to reflect on very very deeply as clinicians working in an area like healthcare where access is very very uh, important and it's our role to make sure that we're delivering high quality care with open access and so acceptance and commitment therapy is a way for us to also take that moment and be like okay well what's going on in me here what how am i helping this person what am what's happening in my reactions and my my emotions and my my sense of self that it, and And is that always helpful? So, if my goal is to deliver a, a, an open and uh, evidence-based and uh, compassionate approach to care, am I experiencing any resistance or challenges to doing that in this situation, and maybe I need to work with that in there? I think that can be true um, across musculoskeletal health when you know people see, know patients or people with pain coming in and they have persistent pain and it's not going to get better in six six sessions three to six sessions and we've all got those targets right and they're going to need more than 30 minutes so we're going to have to explain to our manager why we actually did more than 30 minutes you know all these sorts of things what's happening is our is our instinct to push them away to somewhere else or to create departments where we you know where we don't accept people who have pain for more than three months or, you know, then there are those departments out there that, that, that push the, the access away to somewhere else. So there's a bottleneck in other parts of our clinical approach. Well, Actually, maybe we could just upskill a little bit and recognize that that persistent pain is a very big part of our musculoskeletal population. And, and, and we, we all have a duty to be better at it.
0: Yes, very well said. And like you said, especially in these times. So listen, Laura, I want to thank you for coming on. But before we wrap things up and get to uh, a, a, good, a nice announcement from you and what you're doing in regards to ACT, um, I'm going to ask you one more question. And that is, knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself straight out of university?
2: Oh, gosh. hmm Um, Yeah I would say what I am learning is that I'm not always the right person at that moment and and my sometimes my desire and urge to fix people quickly as well and to to write the injustice of having pain and to to really get rid of that pain as quickly as possible sometimes that has has i think taken away from the therapeutic um potential in some environments and in some experiences so and also has just caused me a lot of pain you know and 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 we have to remember that we are humans in this that we are like clinicians are people that go home and try to you know keep going after after hearing some very difficult stories of other people and you know we're also not immune to when the the people we work with don't get better in the way we want them to you know we take that on I guess one of the most important skills that I have been learning is to be more forgiving of myself Mm. and to remember that life is complicated and people are coming into our clinics with a whole lifetime of experiences that I am not aware of and not privileged to, and they are not aware of or privileged to mine. And being slower, taking more time, being more gentle, um, not only with the people who choose to work with me, but also with myself actually has brought me to a place where my, I'm having a, a, a better relationship with my job. I'm getting better relationships with the people that I work with. And I, it just, uh, yeah, I am able to sustain this work now for longer than I would have been, you know, eight years ago when I first started in particularly working with long-term pain, you know, it's, it was very hard for me. And I, I went through my own version of a, a burnout when I was constantly finding, trying to find more information and be better and skill, up, skill, up, skill, up, skill. Yes, we need to upskill, yes, we need to learn about these things, but we also need to find good supportive mentors and good good environments that we can ex- explain and explore what we're going through and ask for help if we're feeling very affected by what we're hearing every day. You know, good relationships with our colleagues, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, social workers, help us to, you know, share our experiences and our load. Um, and be more forgiving of that, I guess. I don't know if that's a good answer or not. That's an <laughs> excellent answer.
0: Are you kidding me? Fantastic. And now, speaking of um, gaining in skills and service of others, you have. Uh, what do you have coming up? Because I know you have like a course that you have put together, so can you talk about that and where people can find more information?
2: yeah so um about six months ago i I started putting together and planning a two-day course right typical 15-hour two-day course people would come to to our room and we would do two days of act and then you know the situation with COVID 19 happened and all of our lives changed and that didn't seem like it was going to make most sense and so uh, it it shifted into a sort of online collaborative learning and it's still we're still figuring out how this is going to work but instead it's going to be four sessions of three hours of contact and collaboration over four weeks and then um, there's going to be like support and forums in between and that that will be going live hopefully at the end of July if I can get the platform ready um but if people do want to come on a, a course with me or they're interested in in exploring and they just got some questions mm-hmm. best thing they can do is go to my website um for information or even better because I'm basically always on social media find me on Facebook or Twitter or whatever flip me a dm and we can uh, we can figure out Um, Yeah, how we can answer your question or you can get more information about when I'm going to actually release the the actually
0: release the act and now (laughs) so uh, we'll have links to all of that under the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com but can you just shout out your social media handles Uh, if I can remember them Um, so
2: Twitter Twitter is at Laura Rathbone Um, Facebook is Laura Rathbone because I married a dutch man so, uh, <laughs> so that's uh, Raff, Laura Rathbone, and then van as in white van man. Uh, Mers is M E U R S. And uh, Instagram, yeah, I, that's more uh, of a patient facing uh, platform for me. So that's laura.paincoach, um, which is the title that I tend to prefer. So, uh, sort of working as a coach as opposed to as a, as a under the strict title of physiotherapy, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. Those are the three perfect the three social medias I use most. Awesome. Well, Laura, thank you
0: so much. It's a great conversation. It certainly got me thinking of the way that I work with my patients and my clients, and maybe how I need to do a little more introspective work and and try and really check my biases whether conscious or unconscious biases at the door and really see what I can do for the person at the moment and, and listen to them and see what I can facilitate for them. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all of this information. Thank you.
2: Oh, no, you're welcome. There's, there's lots of books and uh, websites and uh, patient information out there um just re- i just want to give a shout out to stephen hayes who came who really is responsible for the framework of acceptance and commitment therapy um and um uh, the association for contextual and behavioral science i think it is um but i'll make sure that you get a link to that and um, where okay. there are uh You know, resources on there for people to learn about acceptance and commitment therapy because, you know, this work isn't being done, the research isn't being done by me, it's being done by lots of other people. So I would like to just direct people to look that up as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for coming on. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.
1: So a huge thank you to Laura for coming on and sharing all of uh, what she is doing with act in the clinic and again if you want to learn more you can go to laurarathbone.com and check out her upcoming courses on act in the clinic so thank you thank you and of course thank you to net health for sponsoring today's episode and again net health wants to help you maintain strong relationships with your patient which is why they created the Redoc patient portal which provides secure online communication between you and your patients conduct virtual visits and have follow up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you Patients have 24-7 secure on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. If you want to learn more, email them at redoc at nethealth.com.
0: Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.